Series 007 and Counting, where we profile, uh, right now, we're profiling six films leading up to the Daniel Craig uh, swan song in the title role of James Bond, um, the 25th Bond film, No Time to Die, hitting U.S. theaters, fingers crossed, grab a rabbit's foot, October the 8th of 2021. Um, Isaac and I are both actively checking uh, when tickets are going on sale. If we can, we'll likely get booster shots. Just going to figure out what we're going to do to see this film. Booster shots, so, double masked, anything to make it happen. And, and I think it is going to happen. They just, uh, as we record this, I think it was a week ago at uh, CinemaCon, they released a nine minute, um, nine minutes of the film for uh, mm-hmm. theater owners, which I believe was just like the most of the stuff we've seen we've already seen in the trailers um but it's is looking more and more like they're just you know they're kind of in no matter what you know territory it's like we got to drop this so and did the, you watch whatever they no it was you know what they released it um you know in a closed room i guess for theater owners and i don't think any of it has leaked online although a mm-hmm. script like you know somebody broke down like you know moment by moment what you actually saw and i have seen that and i think that um there was only a few things in there you know um that were like okay you couldn't piece together by looking at the the uh the trailers but Mm -hmm. for the most part it's like yeah you know it's the same thing you've seen in the trailers just fleshed out a little bit Mm -hmm. um which i'm happy for because i didn't really want to know you know anything else um but there it does it does offer some more uh fruit for speculation um, but mm-hmm. I'm cool. I'm, I'm done speculating, Arthur. I'm ready to see this movie now. Yeah, we've been okay. speculating for what, like three years now. So it's like no more speculation. Um, let's see it, uh, and you know, see how this story plays out. I still feel like this movie is going to be a sequel to um, Casino and Quantum more mm-hmm. so than a sequel to Spectre. You know, I feel like it's going to really pick up on the vibe of Casino and Quantum, but. That's just my guess. We'll find out hopefully in a few weeks. But today, today. we're here to talk about another uh, another debut. Another of debut. Actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Timothy Dalton in the title role after uh, seven Roger Moore films through the seventies. Nineteen eighty sevens a view. I'm instead of nineteen eighty seven view kill. 1987's The Living Daylights, and this is uh, kind of a, not even kind of, but I mean, this is a revival of of Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, Timothy Dalton, who actually had several opportunities to be in various Bond films um, throughout the 70s, but ter- actually turned the role down uh, for several reasons, but View to a Kill. Um, I think I think it's considered somewhat of a disappointment mm-hmm. in the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember seeing the film in theaters, or well, half of it, because I actually fell asleep. Was that? Yeah, we were talking before we started recording. Was that? You, was that the first Bond film that you saw in the theaters? No, no, I'd seen several by that time. Mm, um, okay, 
I've pretty much seen every Bond film in the theater since uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's hard for me to remember, but I want to say Living Daylights was my first in the theater. Okay. Okay. But I, if I, I can't say that definitively because I think a part of me, because spoiler alert, I love this movie so much, it may be, you know, wishful thinking mm-hmm. on my part to say that, yeah, mm-hmm. I saw this was my first Bond in the theater. But mm-hmm. um, I don't, I know I didn't see any of the Roger Moores in the theater. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I saw, yeah, I saw them on, uh, you know, on cable or HBO or whatever, but I never saw any of the Roger Moores in the theater. Yeah. For me, I mean, Moonraker, Octopussy, View to a Kill. Um, so you were seeing these movies when you were like fear eyes only. <laughs> you, I was like, should you boy, have been in the yeah. theater? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Should you have been? <laughs> right. Should you have been seeing these movies? Because you were I mean, very couple, young at that point. Yeah. Well, you know, a view to a kill. I was 14. 13, okay, but 14, I'm talking about probably, like okay, but, like uh, spy who loved me. You know. Yeah, I probably had no business being in the theater, <laughs> but you know, it was like it was dad's weekend. And <laughs> what am I gonna <laughs> do with this mean? kid? <laughs> right. It just went we how that went. See that little jungle book or whatever. <laughs> We're gonna go see this. <laughs> but um, View to a Kill, you know, Roger Moore's swan song. Um, he was fifty. I didn't realize that until very recently. He was fifty-seven years old, mm. Roger Moore, when he when when uh, he filmed The View to a Kill, mm-hmm. and I was actually excited to see the film because it was set in San Francisco. You know, I lived in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, I was familiar with the landscapes. Um, it had to do with, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a technology and I think, I think Zorn owned a technology company. I know he was developing computer yeah, chips and stuff, yeah. you know, and so that was, that was at the dawn of kind of like that, you know, um, yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley. The Apple Macintosh yeah. was like huge, you know, mm-hmm. we had, we had Apple twos in the schools and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I was kind of into that. And then Grace Jones, uh, played Mayday mm-hmm. and I had liked Grace Jones, um, particularly because I had seen her in Conan. Mm, um, yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. um, and I was I was really I was disappointed because Mayday was always it's like she she was always she was almost like an animal mm-hmm. in terms of like how they sort of portrayed her and you know she was like gnashing yeah. of teeth and just like yeah. weird stuff and it was really which kinda, you know kind of played into the, the narrative but it also played into you know a lot of stereotypes and um, presumptions on the part of the filmmakers, I think, which I think that's something we can talk about in another episode. But yeah, I'm with you. When I first saw View to Kill, I was the same way. I was like, ooh, that was, it kind of turned her character kind of like turned me off, you know, and it was like in a way that because I, you know, she was supposed to be scary, but it was like, I guess maybe mm-hmm. innately, I was kind of like, why does the black woman have to be, you know, portrayed this way, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't feeling that. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. was with you on that. Yeah. For the listener's sake, you know, this is 007 and counting. Um, we are going to go through several of our, our points right now being where the state of the franchise was um, prior to the release of today's film, Living Daylights. Yeah. So spoiler alert for Living Daylights. Um, spoiler alert for any Bond film ever, because we make we make that dive into whatever just to if it you know helps the point or helps the, um, the part of the conversation we're in. So. Spoiler for any Bond film, but definitely spoiler for Living Daylights. And just very quickly, if you guys have heard 007 and Counting before, hopefully you have. You know that our uh, the way we do this, we go through mad facts, which is what Arthur was just talking about in, te- in the sense of where the series or the franchise was at the point of uh, living when Living Daylights premiered. 
Um, then we talk about pre-titles and song. Then we go to rated Bond, where we talk about how Bond himself performed in this film. Then we do women versus villain, where we look at the Bond vi- Bond women and the Bond villains or villain and kind of look at, you know, who who performed best. Um, and then we have last words. And then we do Q&A, question Arthur, um, where it's a trivia, uh, putting Arthur to the test on his knowledge about living daylights. So we're OK. So after View to a Kill, Arthur, with Mad Facts talking about living daylights, we I mean, it was pretty much like Roger. I mean, I mean, to be honest, man, after what, maybe for your eyes only, it was kind of like Raj. It's like, dude, you know, it's, it's, it's time for Raj to retire. Mm-hmm. But then Octopussy came. And I think, you know, Octopussy, if I remember correctly, that was the same year that Never Say Never Again dropped, you know, yes. Sean Connery's quote unquote unofficial Bond film. And I think that that may have been a point where they looked at Timothy Dalton to replace um, uh, Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. But I think the consensus amongst the producers is that we can't go up against Sean Connery's James Bond film with a new Bond. You know, we have to. Roger Moore had been very successful mm-hmm. as Bond. You know, people mm-hmm. loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like we need to bring back Roger and just, you know, and, and you know, ignore the fact that he is getting a little bit to because I think when Roger Moore started, I think when he live and let die, I think he was already in his 40s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it was just kind of like we need to go up against Connery with it, you know, with our big gun. Yeah, and that was Roger Moore. And so you got Octopussy and then you got um, uh, View to a Kill. And I think by, yeah, by View to a Kill, it was like, yo, it's, it's, he's, he was like, what'd you say? He was 56, 57? 57. 57. And, you know, the, um, there was one Bond girl, Bond woman in the film uh, who literally threw herself, she was probably 19, threw herself at Bond. And her whole purpose in that film was basically, in View to a Kill, was like to show that he's too old for this. And he, you know, turned her down basically because of her age. Mm-hmm. But then the leading woman in that film was also, you know, probably in her, you know, I don't know, early 20s, mid 20s or whatever. So it was just, then the action scenes, you know, so on and so forth. So it was time for a new Bond. And who was supposed to be the new Bond, Arthur, at this point? Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Yes, not Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. who was Remington Steele. And Pierce Brosnan was actually, I, I, don't, I don't know if his, if ink hit paper, if he had actually signed the contract. Um, I can never remember that detail because um, I've looked it up several times, but I can't remember if he actually signed the contract with Eon. But I know that he was supposed to do Living Daylights. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be Pierce Brosnan playing James Bond in Living Daylights. Lo and behold, Remington Steel producers, um, the show got renewed. Yeah. They would not let Pierce Brosnan out of that contract. What happens? Now he can't do Bond. And I think he even filmed a, he might even film some test scenes or something. I can't remember. But bottom line, he could not become Bond. And so they had to go back and find a new Bond. Enter Timothy Dalton, who, like you said, had been associated with the role before, but had never played Bond. And he became, in effect, second choice, right? Right. And I wonder how he felt. It's got to be a a strange feeling because, I mean, Dalton had been considered for the role of James Bond since the late 60s. I think I think his first screen test was for Honor Majesty's Secret Service from 6069. Mm. Um yeah, he was also considered for Diamonds Are Forever. He was also considered for uh for Your Eyes Only. Mm. And and Octopussy and a View Two Kill. So it's almost like 
call Timothy, call Timothy, call Timothy, call Timothy, call Timothy. And then mm. now they're in a jam. Well, shit, we can call Timothy. Right. And which, you know, it's weird, though, because I remember vividly at that point in time, Pierce Brosnan, because I, I had seen Remington Steel. I had seen uh-huh. that TV show. Yeah. And I remember, the, you know, kind of the popular opinion was like, this guy really looks like James Bond. Like, mm-hmm. they're kind of like the, the, I guess, the epitome of Bond in most people's heads was yeah. Pierce Brosnan, the way, just the way he looked, the way he carried himself. He, the Remington Steel character, it was kind of like a riff on Bond anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember when people found out, I can't, I, th- I think even my like classmates, you know, I, th- I don't know what grade I was in at that point, but mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. remember, you know, kind of the disappointment, like that's Bond. How can he not be Bond? You know what I'm saying? He, 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 he should yeah. be the next James Bond. Um, so Timothy Dalton was walking into this already kind of the underdog. Right. Right. And, and do you think that how, well, you know what, let's, let's, let's kind of, I- I'll save this for when we get into rated Bond. Okay. About okay. about about Dalton's approach to the role and how mm-hmm. that might have been affected because he was coming in as an underdog. Mm-hmm. So but overall, though, looking at just I mean the state of the franchise, you had Connery, you had one film with George Lazenby, mm-hmm. and then you had seven years I think or more of, of uh, seven films of uh, of uh, Roger Moore. Roger Moore, right? And so Roger Moore was basically he was. He had held this franchise down. He had lifted it up. You know, his films did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, in popular culture, he was James Bond. Mm-hmm. And so to move into something, you know, moving to move from there into the Pierce Brosnan um, era feels more, you know, feels pretty safe. But then for that to fall through and now you got to bring this other guy who a lot of people, especially in, in the, the United States, hadn't heard of, you know, Timothy Dalton. Right. Um, and the fact that, like you said, he's second choice. Now it's kind of like, hmm, this, you know, how is this going to pan out? You know, and I think it was mm-hmm. only two years between View to a Kill and Living Daylight. So it's, right. a, it's right. a big shift to go through in a very short amount of time. Um, so the franchise, if, if I had to say, I don't know if you agree, but I, I would say that the franchise at this point was in a not necessarily a, a dangerous place, but a, a little bit of peril, you know, a very. Mm-hmm. Um, a sensitive place. That's what I'll mm-hmm. say. It's in, it mm-hmm. was in a sensitive place. And this film, if Living Daylights would have been horrible, um, who knows what would have happened after that, you know? Well, why don't we move into the pre-title sequence and um, our thoughts on the on, on the song? Um, so, so pre-titles, um, I, you know, I'll, I'm, I'll just say, I'll let you start, but I'm going to say this. I'm just going to throw this out there. To me, I think this may be one of, if not the best pre-title sequences in the entire series. Now okay. you go. <laughs> well, yeah, you just kicked it off. I mean, this is you a think really... So I think so, too. I okay. think so, too. And I think it's a really appropriate pre-title for the, for the reveal of a new James Bond. Mm-hmm. Why, how because, so? Well, the... The sequence itself, what's happening is it's a it's a it's a double O training mission. And there are several double O agents who have an objective to scale up like a mountain, a cliff, mm-hmm. you know, and overtake some sort of, you know, enemy command post. Mm-hmm. They're going up against they are as the double O section, they're going up against and I forgot the name, I meant to write it down, of the other 
section of, you know, special forces, basically British special forces. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an intramural, you know, it's like a little bit of conflict, you know, like who's the best within our own group, you know, mm-hmm. within our own mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And of course, Emma's like, you guys, you're, you know, do the double O section proud. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going up against other, you know, uh, special forces. So it's kind of like the best against the best. So you have double O agents all dressed in black. They're not masked. But they're all dressed in black and, you know, and they're scaling this cliff mm-hmm. and um, there isn't any focus on Dalton um, during the beginnings of this exercise. Right. But at a certain point, you see another individual also dressed in black as if he were a double O agent mm-hmm. and he having the higher ground kills, shoots and kills one of the double O's. Let me now, and, let me stop you right there, because mm-hmm. this is the point up until this point, And it, it was dope. You know, you had you saw them on what you for a second you think is M's office. But, you know, it's, it's they're on a plane. Like they're on a plane. Yeah. Right. You don't see any of their faces. Like you said, Dalton, that's actually Dalton. I found out, you know, by listening to one of the behind the scenes things. That's actually Dalton. That's not a stand in when you don't see mm-hmm. that's on the plane. That's actually him standing there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they jump off the plane. And that John Barry co- score kicks in that that soft like ding ding that suspenseful music. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is the last double. This is the last James Bond that, that um, John Barry ever scored, mm-hmm. um, and it's a tremendous score, one of the best. And so you up until that point, it's already dope. Which hold on, another quick side note to my side note. What's up with that double O who lands and gets shot immediately? You know, he gets taken out. I mean, like. <laughs> He, he falls into the trees. He's standing out in the open, looking around, just like, you know, he's on vacation or something. He gets taken out of media. I'm like, how is that guy double O? Anyway, when Dalton turns, when the camera, when, like you said, his, his, his boy, his comrade is taken out, the other double O gets like his, I think he gets his, uh, the rope cut, you know, and he falls and he screams. Mm-hmm. And then they, the camera zooms in on Dalton. He turns. That's one of the best reveals of a double O, of a, of a James Bond. You know, it's just like, it lasts only a second. But he's in the all black. The mm-hmm. camera zooms in and you just mm-hmm. that's the first time you see him. And he and he's scaling. So he's on the side of the cliff. He's on the side of the cliff. And it's just really, really well done as far as like, again, you've coming off of seven. You're coming off of seven Roger Moore films. You know, this guy is to, in the States, at least this guy is not very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot at stake here. And the reveal for this James Bond, it's just like, boom. And it's like, ooh, you know, it kind of takes you aback for a second. Um, so I, I, I thought that was expertly done. All right, go ahead. You, you were breaking it down. Go ahead. Dalton identifies who the assassin is, but you know, in, in a chase ensues. Yeah. He just jumped into somebody's truck or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Dalton jumps on the roof of this thing. Something you're not going to see Roger Moore do in view to a kill. You know, he just jumps on the roof. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like there, there, there were several, like, I guess, triggers that the director was trying to, the producers as well, I'm sure. To show that this is a younger Bond, this is a more active Bond, um, this is a more um, a life and death scene, and you know, in previous title sequences, you know, where Roger Moore is is there, the only thing close to sort of the intensity of how the scene plays out for me was the Spy Who Loved Me. And the ski slopes. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, good point. 
yeah. think Eon needed to out of the gate present Dalton to audiences as worth the money. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And, and it should be noted, Dalton also did a lot of his own stunts. You know, so hmm. that's a I lot didn't know of that. that you're seeing is him. Um, a few minutes later, after, you know, he's, you know, uh, killed the the uh, the enemy agent and he parachutes on, you know, on top of that boat. When I'm you like, see uh-huh. him flip, you know, he flips onto the, he hits the roof and then he kind of flips onto the, um, uh, onto the, deck. Onto the actual deck. That's yeah. Dalton. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And it's like, that's the that's one of the first signs you know okay this is this is a, this is a different dude you know what i'm saying because mm-hmm. roger moore is not doing that at, you know of course mm-hmm. he's not doing that mm-hmm. at, in view to a kill mm-hmm. um and then you know he's you get the immediate you know um I, I love the you saw the action so you got that part of the bond but then of course when he sees the beautiful woman um and he's telling you know he's telling mi6 i'll report in uh, an hour and then he looks at her and she's like you know basically offering a drink and you know she's looking and giving him that come hither look and mm-hmm. then he says you know tells mi6 well you better make that two hours you know he doesn't mm-hmm. say that he mm-hmm. says better make that too um th- you got the you know you got the the other side of bond you know the, yeah. the ladies man bond so i think that this pre-title sequence did pretty much everything you want you know what I'm saying from a pre-title sequence and it was just i thought it was just a brilliant reveal for this for this bond so i rate this one really high man i'm not sure it's hard to say is it my favorite I, I kind of vacillate on that sometimes, but it's definitely, it's always up there. If it's not my favorite, it's definitely, you know, top two, top three, you know, of the whole is this Is this title sequence a trigger for you when you think about the Craig era? Um, and, how the, know, and I'm thinking yeah. about the pre-title for Quantum. For Quantum, um, when he's in the car, you're talking about for Quantum or for Casino? Because in Casino, um, you kind of get a similar reveal. You know, his face is in the shadows for a second. Well, well, him. for Quantum, because he's in the midst of a car chase. He's mm-hmm. he's basically got people following him, and he's got he's got Mr. Right. White in the trunk. Right. So it's a great that, and that is a great car chase in the beginning of Quantum. It's not so much a trigger for me when I when I, I don't, when I look at the Daylight's um, title sequence. I don't I don't think about anything other than this t- title. It doesn't compare mm-hmm. to any of the mm-hmm. other ones to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his own. It's his own animal. Um, but I just think overall, I think if, again, if you go back to what we were talking about in the mad facts section and just where the franchise was at at this moment, yeah, this was like the title sequence that just completely like, okay, if you had any doubts about this guy, if you thought mm-hmm. maybe view to kill stunts weren't up to par, mm-hmm. um, if this, you know, if some of that, the fight scenes threw you off or whatever, boom, you know what I'm saying? It was like, this yeah. is the way I to felt start like they had daylights. to tick a, f- tick some boxes yeah they did absolutely they tick some boxes and to be honest it's, it's also interesting because you go from this title sequence when you get into the actual film the first you know 40 minutes of the actual film mm-hmm. the tone is really different than the title mm-hmm. sequence in terms mm-hmm. of the tone mm-hmm. and we can talk about this later but the tone has a very um cold war classic you know spy yes. thriller type feel to it for the first mm-hmm. especially the first 40 minutes of the film um and it's so the pre-titles has a very you know obviously a very action oriented um, so it's kind of a shift, but I think it, it happens seamlessly. I think it, it, it works really well. So, so what did you think about, yeah, the song? What did you think about going from the pre-titles in, into the, the title sequence? What did you think about this, the AHA Living Daylight song? Um, not really a fan. Mm, okay. Not really a fan. Were you a fan of View to a Kill, of Duran Duran's View to a Kill? Uh, more so, yeah. My favorite themes... I really liked For Your Eyes Only. I thought that was a solid theme. You know, I really liked um, um, Nobody Does It Better. 
that was like a solid theme right um the the duran duran theme the aha theme you know even madonna's theme for die another day you know it, it felt it felt um kind of slapped on it felt like it's a bond movie it's an event let's get duran duran and you know and let's get aha now in real time for me like aha like i'm not gonna front take on me is a great song Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i can't name any other aha song beyond that and this Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i didn't know it just didn't seem maybe they're you know a super huge international group and i really wasn't you know but it was like i mean all right I you know in eighty six eighty seven I think yeah all I knew was take on me I didn't know and I don't even know if I listened to that album I think I just you know just heard that song all the time because yeah. it was you know on the radio all the time but the songs that you mentioned for your eyes only and no one nobody does it better no one yeah nobody does it better I think I'm not even gonna mention the Madonna song we'll leave that out of out of the conversation for now but those two mm-hmm. songs mm-hmm. to me I like both of those songs especially mm-hmm. for your eyes only. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they, to me, feel less Bondian than Living Daylights and View to a Kill. Living Daylights and View to a Kill sound like Bond songs to me. You know, hmm, the, mm-hmm. the, they they just have that Bond vibe to them. Whereas uh, For Your Eyes Only, just using that as an example, I love the song, but it could have been, you know, just a Sheena Easton song. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, it could have been mm-hmm. just, you know, someone on her album and it would have been a hit because it's a, you know, it's a great song. But does it really scream bond to me? Not really. So that's, it's interesting that we, we view that differently, but as far as, um, living daylights, I actually like the song and I <laughs> view to a kill was, it was a big hit, you know, and Duran Duran mm-hmm. was the shit back then, you know, they were at the top of their game at that, you know, they were, they were the band, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At that moment. Um, so it was like, you know, this was just another, it was, you know, it was, it was just a, a huge um, win for Eon to get them to do View to a Kill. And I think they wanted to continue that type of vibe with, you know, Living Daylight. So they reached out to AHA. another song um within living daylight so it actually has two theme songs so the other song um i'm looking now uh if there was a man which was um performed by chrissy hind from the pretenders yeah um she did and she also did uh necross's theme uh where's everybody gone which you also hear in the movie if there was a man is played at the end of the film Right. And but it's you you hear it throughout the movie because yeah. you know it's the love it's the love theme between Bond and Kara, mm-hmm. um, Kara. So there's you know it's it's this is a unique film for having basically two theme songs. But the Aha track, I actually sometimes like it better than the Duran Duran track, and I think it's the um, 
the bridge that really gets me. It just feels very Bond mm-hmm. Bondian when they start talking about start talking about the headlights and blah blah blah, and you know, it just it has that spy yeah, but, type vibe to me. But does it feel? I mean, you know, we just talked about how Eon had to tick some boxes, and they've mm-hmm. already presented. Uh, um, it's, it's really an overused word, but like a grittier Bond, mm-hmm. right. you know, a one a Bond that is that's you know in hot pursuit of <laughs> dude you know i mean like roger moore he might stop you know and get a cocktail on his way to the car mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i just felt so so let me defend for your eyes only for a second from this vantage point mm-hmm. sheena easton was coming off a morning train so mm-hmm. she was already like hot hot you know solid gold american bandstand sheena easton's everywhere and now they throw her into a Bond film, right. and to use one of your words, there's this zeitgeist of this momentum of a new upcoming artist, right? right. You know, aha, there are a couple years passed between Take On Me and this. Mm-hmm. And that that fueled my, huh? Like, why them? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And not that, not that this group would have done a Bond theme, but if you took, if you approached, say, you 2 Mm-hmm. you know who had done the unforgettable fire and you know in the name of love and the joshua tree album in 87 you know like they were like coming up as an international artist mm-hmm. you know with a little more punch to their music that may have seemed more fitting to the mm-hmm. theme of the living daylight so let me ask you this though because you you're speaking as a music snob shout out to the music snobs podcast i am you're speaking as a music snob right now but just in terms of the song itself Forget, you know, the cultural position of the group. Forget the, you know, forget everything else. Just mm-hmm. the song itself. That dun, 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 you know what I'm saying? The way it mm-hmm. starts is just, again, the youthfulness of it and the vibe that it had, you know, how it jived with the movie. You still weren't feeling it. Well, I'll concede that tonally it, 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 it fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I didn't. Hmm. It it kind of seems slapped on. Mm, Aha okay. seems slapped on. Well, we have Dio, diametric opposition on yeah. that. Um, interesting that thing is- too. Interesting thing too is that mm. in the in the um, in the opening credits, when they on screen when they highlight you know the Living Daylights performed by Aha, mm-hmm. they use the group's logo. You've never yeah, seen that before. I noticed. Yeah, I noticed that too. I'm glad you pointed that out. I wonder if that because. There was just a little BTS. There was some contention between John Barry and Aha. You got to think, you know, John Barry's been at that point, had been in the game for decades. Yeah. He's an older gentleman. He's dealing with these, you know, young whippersnappers. And you right. know, there was some, and I believe it was just over. And he, he actually had some contention, I think, with Duran Duran as well. So there was, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of, you know, um, tension and, and just a little bit of uh, drama as far as that is concerned. So, I saw, I noticed that too, though, that AHA's logo, you know, the font and everything was their, basically their logo type. And I was like, I wonder if they, if that was in their contract, like they demanded that that be part of that. Cause that, yeah. I, I had never seen that either. That was interesting. Um, all right. So let's, let's get into rated bond. How we're going to talk about how we feel bond himself, um, performed within this film. And this, you know, this is a different bond, dude. You, let, mm-hmm. Just a little bit of backstory, a little background, Timothy Dalton is widely known that Timothy Dalton, you know, he was he was a stage actor. You know, he, I mean, he had obviously done, you know, uh, film, TV, whatever. But he was that classic type of, you know, yeah. British, you know, stage actor. 
and taking things very seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he talked about how he, um, for to prepare for the role, you know, he read, went back and read all the Fleming books. Um, and he wanted to take the James Bond character back to its roots, you know, in terms of, you know, basically stepping mm-hmm. away from a lot of the Roger Moreisms. Um, and, you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and obviously the writers felt the same way because the script, you know, lent itself to, towards that as well. But how did you feel, you know, knowing all of that and watching it, how did you feel Bond himself as, you know, a character performed in this film? Well, first, let me say that for years and years, I mm. fronted on Timothy Dalton. You were one like, of those. I had never seen a <laughs> Timothy Dalton. Right. I was. I'd never seen a Timothy Dalton film um, mm. in theater at all. And I gave Pierce Brosnan a chance before I gave mm. Timothy Dalton a chance. Um, now, in my defense, you know, I'm a teenager. It's the late 80s, hip hop. I'm not necessarily checking for... A James Bond film. You know, I'm checking for a Spike Lee film. A James, especially really a James for, Bond film with Shakespearean um, type actor, you know, playing the lead role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't even necessarily know that. I just mm-hmm. didn't know who Timothy Dalton was. And I think that drove part of that for me. And I knew who Pierce Brosnan was. I'd seen a couple of Remington Seal episodes. And I even thought that when I watched it, it's like, you know, if James Bond worked you know, in a detective, right? <laughs> in my, you know, right. in a detective That's what office it look or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, um, in hindsight, I believe that I would have really enjoyed all of Timothy Dalton's film. I definitely would have enjoyed Living Daylights, and mm-hmm. I do think that um, Dalton is is one of the better Bonds. He's, I think he's better than Pierce. Mm. Um, wow. Okay. I hate good. to say gl- that he. I'm, I'm, I hate I'm to say that he's that. better than Roger Moore, but mm-hmm. uh, now when you call, let's Roger let's Moore. let's quantify this though. When you say better, are you saying just like in a broad sense? Or are you saying better at being Bond as maybe Fleming intended, or the Bond that's in your mind, or what? As Fleming intended. Okay. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that Dalton is a better Bond as 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 Fleming in, intended. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that. I think that. Connery and Connery has the advantage being the first to be able to establish the film version, the role of it. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Connery, and this is throughout the whole thing. I mean, even Craig, Connery brings the better balance of suave, chic, you know, cultured, mm-hmm. albeit after the fact, you know, as opposed to Roger Moore's Bond, who seems to be more highborn out of the mm-hmm. gate. Right, right. Um, but also, you know, the spy. I will, I will break your neck with my hands. <laughs> right. You know right. what I'm saying? I will shoot you in the face. Right. And he, Connery, brought the balance of those two personas. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalton, I think, brought the character back to those kinds of roots. But Dalton, to me, was less suave and more. I'm jack you up. <laughs> right, right, mm-hmm. and I think I think we needed that. I think we needed that for uh, a new Bond post Roger Moore because Roger Moore really leaned into. I mean, Roger Moore's James Bond. By the time you get to Octopussy and and I mean, even for your eyes only. I mean, he's sort of like low key pimp Bond. <laughs> <laughs> explain explain that. What do you mean by that? 
out of the gate he's you know he's hollering at younger women and <laughs> and you know and uh, you know everybody's darling and everybody literally is darling you're right everybody is darling yeah yeah everybody. and <laughs> you don't get that you don't get that from connery's bond from connery's bond uh-huh. you know you get you get sort of you get creepy creepy misogynistic bond right because by the time you get to octopussy of you to kill it's kind of you still take Roger seriously, but you're kind of like, you're not afraid of him. You know, you're not afraid of him. Right. You're not afraid of him. Um, but you know, you know, you're, you take him seriously cause he's still, he's James Bond. You think he's very, um, he's apt at what he you does. Don't under, but, you don't underestimate him, but you don't really take him seriously. Right. Right. Whereas with, when in this film in living daylights, Bond is very, he's deadly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, Timothy Dalton is not a big guy. He's tall. He's, 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 I think he's like six foot, six foot one, maybe. Um, but he's, mm-hmm. he's not, and he's, he's, he's in good shape in this film, obviously, because um, from what he does physically, but he's not, you know, he's not cut up like, you know, Daniel Craig is, you know, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not physically intimidating in that way, but he has an aura about him in this movie, especially in a few key scenes, man, where he just looks like, I will kill you and everybody, you know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? He just has mm-hmm. that, that wolfish look about his, mm-hmm. his face and his eyes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he, um, he, he has a deadliness to him that is like, I would not, there's certain scenes where it's like, yeah, that's not a cat. I just want to roll up on, you know, in the alley, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, there's something going on there. There's something underneath the surface there. Um, whereas Roger Moore didn't have that, especially in the later years. Um, so yeah, I, I completely take your point there. So you, you enjoyed him overall. You enjoyed him as, as the character of James Bond in this film. Oh, very much so. And, and it happened like really early, not necessarily the pre-title sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about the first time that I saw living daylights, you know, and I remember that the pre-title sequence definitely got my attention, but you know, the, what drove it home was... I think I know what you're about to say. Go ahead. Well, the scene at the opera house. Yes. 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 Where Bond is set up across the street as the, the sniper. sniper scene. Yes. Yes. And, um, uh, dude, that is, um, I guess Bond's, uh, not handler, but Bond's He's interface. His contact. Yeah. His contact. contact. Yeah. Yeah. Sanders. Is yeah. that his name? Yeah. yeah. Sanders is like, you know, Bond, you're late. You know, he's basically like, look, Bond, you know, stop, stop bullshitting. You know, I'll be <laughs> on you for eight. I'm like, you talking, to, how are you talking to him? This is it's like, how are you talking to him like that? You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like James Bond, you know, was like middle management, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Right. Um, right. And it's, it was interesting really quickly. He says to him, um, let me make sure this guy's name is, uh, if I'm saying that right, is it Sanders? Um, what's interesting is that he mentions when Bond is late and he's, you know, Bond checks out, uh, Cara, he sees, you know, he clocks Cara and he mentions, you know, lovely girl with the cello. Um, Sanders says, you know, uh, forget about the ladies for once Bond, but it's clear that this is his first time meeting Bond. So it's almost like, hold up. Does Bond have have a reputation around MI6 for just, you know, it's like, it's Saunders. Saunders. It's Saunders. Saunders, The actor is Thomas Wheatley. Who, who? I liked Saunders. I loved him. He he played the shit out of that role, man. Yeah. You, you despised him early on, but then you grew to love him before he, you know, before he was killed. But right. you know, he was uh, he was perfect in that role. He was perfect in that role. But I'm sorry, go ahead. The sniper scene. That's when you yeah, that's when sni- that's when that's when you locked in with with uh, Timothy Dalton's Bond. Right. Because you you get a you get a Bond who 
knows his craft, um, who's very look back up off me, mm-hmm. and makes sig- a significant judgment call in a split second that basically determines the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And and that move and the move that he makes, that decision that he makes, really is just basically not to take out it, it, the Bond girl of the film. Mm-hmm. Is infuriates Saunders, mm-hmm. but it's also the thing that ends up making Saunders to come around to Bond, right? At the end, because he realizes the professionalism. And it's yeah, almost it's almost it's yeah. it's almost like it's almost like Saunders now gets why James Bond has this reputation of being, you know, who he is the best, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Let me tell you something, man. I love this shit. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of the Bond series, man. When yeah. he when Timothy Dalton. OK, the scene in the opera house is cool. But when they walk across the street to the mm-hmm. safe house or whatever that the, mm-hmm. that they got set up is like this communist stronghold. Yeah, um, I think it's almost I think maybe a newspaper um, office. Go up to the second floor. Bond walks in the door, Arthur. The tux lifts up the, the collar of the tux, pulls the little Velcro thing over and turns his tux into like the sniper suit, whatever. The assassin, the assassin right. suit, you know. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. This is my guy right here. This is my dude right here. This is my bond right here. And to this day, I got to be honest, man. I think I'm with you. He, Timothy Dalton's bond is, is hard because, you know, like you said, Sean Connery just, you know, he epitomized the role, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of um, George Lazenby's. I'm a big fan of uh, Majesty's. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of uh, what, what Roger did early on with, mm-hmm. the, you know, before it got kind of a little bit too silly mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a, I, I love what um, Pierce Brosnan did, you know, uh, early on. And I'm, 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 I'm a fan of Daniel Craig's. But I got to be honest with you, man. Timothy Dalton in Living Daylights may be my favorite Bond. You okay. know, it, it kind of, I, again, I vacillate, you know, I hate to be that vacillator, but I do vacillate between him and Sean Connery and, you know, maybe uh, Daniel Craig in a casino or, or, or quantum, but Timothy Dalton, when he, when he, when he turns that thing into a sniper's outfit to a sniper suit, right. something just clicked inside of me. And I mm-hmm. was like, I love this shit. You know what I'm saying? And he, so let me he, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me ask you, mm-hmm. could you see, could you see Connery doing that? Yes, but it wouldn't have been as deadly. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that lightly because, like mm. you said, Connery can be deadly. Yeah, you know, he was deadly, especially in Doctor No. There was some scenes in there where it was like, "Ooh, this motherfucker might be a little off," you know, because he's so deadly. He mm-hmm. was, he played the assassin spy very well when he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and Craig, you know, there's moments with Craig where it's like, "Ooh, this this guy is, you know, he's 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 about his business." Yeah. But there is just something about Timothy Dalton, man. It's that scene and then the scene like when Saunders gets killed mm-hmm. and he just looks up and he just looks ferocious, you know, and it's like he's that dude who you, you know, you kind of fear because you're like, he'll do anything in a fight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like he'll to whatever he has to do to win. You know, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. he'll do. Um, so, yeah, I think that that scene where he the sniper scene there's just an extra edge to it. A Cold mm-hmm. War kind of like spy thriller deadliness to it mm-hmm. that Dalton gives that I don't think any of the other Bonds could give mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. if, if again this was supposed to be Pierce Brosnan's film so if Brosnan would have played this role and Brosnan can be deadly too when he wants to um, see uh, Tomorrow Never Dies when he kills um, 
uh, the doctor, I forgot the guy's name, after he kills, uh, the doctor takes out um, uh, Paris Carver and then mm-hmm. Bond kills him. And mm-hmm. there's a deadliness to Pierce Brosnan. You know, at, the, at that point, it was like, oh, I haven't seen that before. So he can do that too. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have done it as well as Timothy Dalton, though. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There's just mm-hmm. there's just something about Dalton that you know when he picks up that sniper's rifle, and there's a beautiful moment when Saunders is explaining to him, you know what the, what went on, and he's like, you know, uh, the general asked for you specifically to handle this, right. and Dalton pauses and he looks up and he says, "Why me?" Mm-hmm. And there's a sensitivity about him, a vulnerability almost that you really don't get. It kind of startled me at first because it's like in the midst of all this kind of the guy's loading of a sniper's rifle. You know what I'm saying? It's like right. he's choosing between the bullets he wants, you know? And it's like, he has that moment of just kind of softness. And it's like, it was brilliant acting on, on Dalton's part. So I, I, again, Dalton may be, you know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth, but Dalton uh, at various times, Dalton has been my favorite James Bond. So, so let me ask you, are there any other, any other else? Cause we talked this, We've talked this scene to death. Are there any other scenes that, because I got one more, but there, are there any other scenes throughout here that you really, that you want to kind of like bring up as the exemplify what Bond, the character, you know, how you think it performed in this film? Um, yeah, there's one other and it's, it's toward, it's, it's, it's in the third act when um, Bond plants himself into um, Koskoff's, into Koskoff's and Whitaker's, Weapons truck, yeah, yeah, yeah. Towards the and he's the dressed like a Bedouin, and right. he's he's like all up in. He's like you know he's like deep, deep, deep in the <laughs> deep, truck, deep undercover, yeah, deep, right, deep, deep, <laughs> deep, deep undercover, you know. Yeah. And he's got he's got his face covered, but he's just like it, it's almost like he's just he's just you know trying to hide in plain mm-hmm. sight, mm-hmm. Uh, where he just really looks. Mm-hmm. He's he's all but sacrificing himself. Mm-hmm. to comp- you know to complete this mission. Yeah. But he's not doing it recklessly either. Mm-hmm. It's just a very dispassionate in both scenes he plays it just very dispassionately. Mm-hmm. And in both scenes he is just rock solid deadly. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about the cuz there's a criticism that gets leveled at Timothy Dalton's uh Bond in this film and in uh the subsequent film in License to Kill, but let's just focus on this one on uh, Living Daylights. A lot of people criticize say that he he played it so seriously that he didn't handle the comedy well, you know, because mm-hmm. at this point in time, mm-hmm. the Bond character, of course, is known for the quips. You know, they started with Connery, mm-hmm. continued mm-hmm. through more or uh, through Lazenby more. And now Dalton is expected to, you know, to be able to carry off those moments of like, you know, quick one liners, whatever. Yeah. How did you feel? Did you when you're watching this, did anything like did it strike you? It's like, oh, he's not as funny or he doesn't. When he said that line, it just didn't land right. Did, did yeah. any of that come to you? It came through every time. I never thought Dalton was funny. Even at the very, in the, pre, in the pre-title sequence, mm-hmm. we talked about it, you know, when, when Bond lands on the canopy of the yacht, you know, and he sort of turns into, um, you know, um, you know, Mac, you know, <laughs> Mac Daddy, Mac, pimp, <laughs> Mac Daddy Bond. It, do, right. it doesn't, it doesn't play very well. And it played as if he needed to do it to sort of, to sort of not a homage, but to sort of carry over the Roger Moore Bond into this new era uh, the of trope. Bond, the yeah. trope, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. None of the none of the sort of the quips or the one liners or the you know I can't even think of one. It just because nothing really stood out. It just seemed 
Mm. It just didn't it didn't work for me. I'm glad you said that because now we have more Dio um, because I liked it. (laughs) I think I think he did. I think he was funny in his own way in this film. And Mm -hmm. I think that too much is made out of the fact um, when people criticize, I think they're wanting him to be, you know, to say the lines or to do exactly what Roger Moore did. And it's not that if you look at one of the funniest moments in the scene is when Cara is like, Cara is like, we need to go back from our cello. That was funny. Can't leave it. Can't. And Bond is like, no, we're not doing it. No, no. You know, under no circumstances. And then it just cuts and And the music changes Uh and he's in the car just like, Okay, that was funny, but but he didn't really have to say anything. He didn't have to say anything, but he had to act. Right. You know okay. So and that's so what maybe I'm saying. it's a different style of humor, and he you know he had to act. And then when she puts brings the cello out, he's like, "Why can't you learn to play the violin?" You know what I'm saying? It's like he's funny, but he's funny in his own way. And I think that okay. people need to okay allow that a little bit more. I'll agree um, with that. I'll agree with that. But mm-hmm. Roger Roger Moore would not have said. Why didn't you learn how to play the cello? And mm. and I'm not so to be clear, I'm not saying that Timothy Dalton should have. I am saying that every time Timothy Dalton tried to do a bond trademark bond quip, mm-hmm. it didn't land for me because that's not that's not to your point, that's not who Dalton is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dalton's humor comes later. You know, and it's almost like he's playing off like when when Connery and Bond and even Lazenby, when they would do those quips, mm-hmm. they weren't more times than not. They were playing off of a corpse by this time because he just killed somebody or he knocked somebody out. He's, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's talking to himself. Mm-hmm. Dalton, mm-hmm. his humor came off by playing off of other people. Agreed. But I'll say I still think he handled some of the one liners well. Okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll 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 die on that hill. I'll fight that battle because when he says to her, um, I, I liked in the beginning when he says, you know, better make that too. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I liked when Kara um, is asking about, you know, uh, the car, and you know, he's if she looks at him, you know, as he started to do all these things on the, you know, with the car, and he's yeah. like, I've, I've had a few. I can't remember the exact line, although I say it to myself all the time. Every mm-hmm. time I get in my car, you know, I had a few upgrades made or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he handles that well. And there's other parts, you know, um, within the film, some of the one-liners when he tells Pushkin, um, not Pushkin, Koskoff, when he tells him, um, you know, we have a saying too, Yogi. And then he pauses and he says, and you're full of it. Mm-hmm. I was, that was hilarious to me. And it was mm-hmm, like just mm-hmm, the, the, mm-hmm. the pause, the acting, I thought it was great. So I, you know, I, again, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I still feel that there are, he does handle some of the one liners. Now, when we get to license to kill and eh, it doesn't really work for me as much in that mm-hmm, film, but in mm-hmm. living daylights, I think he does handle it. Now there's two, though, there's two more deadly moments I want to talk about very quickly. But before I get to that, I have to say, um, there's a there's another side of his character of the way that that Bond is portrayed in this film that really stood out to me, um, and it's, it's it's exemplified a little bit in the the relationship that he has with Saunders, like you mm-hmm. you talked about, because mm-hmm. you actually see their relationship grow. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like he's you know he starts the film and this Saunders is introduced as his ally and his buddy or whatever, like Felix Leiter. You actually see their relationship grow from dislike, yeah. you know, to a, a genuine affection um, yeah. right before Saunders is killed. So I think that that was played very well by Dalton um, as Bond. But the biggest part I want to talk to you about really quickly is the love story. You know, 
obviously this is one of the few films bond does not bet a lot of women in this movie It's really right. the woman at the beginning and then Kara, and that's right. it. So, and you know, Roger Moore would go through three and four or five women, you know, saying within a movie, mm-hmm. and and you know, um, Lazenby uh, did Sean like two, three in like an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> right, he was scheduling them eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever. <laughs> and then, of course, Connery was, you know, was hitting everything as well. But in this film, I have to say that Living Daylight's James Bond is one of the few Bonds, maybe maybe Lazenby as well and maybe Craig a little bit but definitely definitely one of the few bonds that I can actually believe a woman falling in love with him Mm -hmm. in so many of the other Bond films he just walks into a room and women are like I love him whereas in this film the way that Dalton plays him there's a sensitivity to him Mm -hmm. you know and 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 a realness to him that I could actually see and I, I understand why Kara falls for him because mm-hmm. you remember she's, she's still enamored with, um, Costco, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but then the more time she spends around, um, bond, she starts to fall for him. Um, there is that, you know, terrible scene, you know, that terrible line he gives in the, uh, uh, on the Ferris wheel, the third man Ferris wheel, when he says, uh, you know, don't think, just let it happen. And that was cringe. That was, as they say, that was Very definitely cringe, cringeworthy. cringeworthy. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was like, oh my God. It's like, could you, why? That was 1987, man. It's like that. I think if I, I'm hoping that even in 87, I was like, ooh, shit, he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know, the love story between them, it is an actual love story. Mm-hmm. And I understand it. It's to the point where when they're um, with the, uh, with the Afghans and she says, um, he calls her beautiful. And in, in the Afghan language, mm-hmm. um, it was a really tender moment and it mm-hmm. made sense to me. And it was like, you know what? I believe this love story. And I think that is a huge credit to the way uh, Timothy Dalton played Bond. And mm-hmm. this was a different. And I, I don't think we've seen this Bond um, since Majesty's Secret Service. We haven't mm-hmm. seen a Bond that was this tender, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really a credit to him because I think he played tender and, you know, deadly assassin. Very We balanced those very well. Um, so, but really quickly, two other scenes and we'll move on the, um, scene at the beginning of the film when Saunders is basically like, you know, I'm going to tell on you, I'm going to snitch on you because what you did and, you know, you disobeyed orders. Mm -hmm. I love it when Dalton is like, you know, stuff my orders, Mm -hmm. you know, if he fires me, I'll thank him for it. Talking about Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he's like you mentioned earlier, he doesn't kill Kara because he says, I only kill professionals. That girl didn't know one end of the rifle from the other. Yeah. All that stuff. I just love how he plays that. Cause it's like, Mm -hmm. you never seen bond, like just be like, fuck this job. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I don't even, I'm really don't even like what I do. And you know, I'm gonna go with my instinct over any of this other bullshit. I love that scene. The other scene I wanted to talk to you really quickly about was when he is um, interrogating Pushkin um, in the hotel mm-hmm. and he's got the gun on him and Pushkin is like, you know, yeah. um, Koskoff is lying to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, who do you trust me or him? And Dalton says that great line where he says, you know, if I was, if I trusted Koskoff, me and you wouldn't be talking, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? We wouldn't mm-hmm. be having this conversation mm-hmm. again. That's the bond that I love. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's mm-hmm. why, um, Dalton is probably probably my favorite Bond because of, of scenes like those. What did you think about that scene? That was a man. That was a great scene. That was a rough scene though because I had never seen Bond crude. 
but it was like mm-hmm. all yeah, business. When you ripped, ripped the clothes off of uh, the the wife or the mistress, that was yeah, yeah as a strategy rough, to tr- to distract the men that he knew were coming through the door so that he could get the jump on them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just like it was like you know cold, uh, you know specialist bond, mm-hmm. very dispassionate. Yep. Like there was like there was nothing. The conversation. I believe that the that the that the conversation that he had with Pushkin on the bed at gunpoint, mm-hmm. right? That had some passion, some feeling into it. He was calculating. Mm-hmm. He was keeping it, you know, professional. But there was a little emotion that seeped into it, right? Yeah. But yeah, then it turned into point. into all business. Shut it down, you know. Um, and it became non personal. Mm-hmm. Like. Nice. It was almost like, hey, you know, look, I didn't mean to put your wife out there like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm a spy and I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not actually a good guy. That but was yeah, a very yeah. different bond than we had ever seen. But it was mm-hmm. very consistent with the character mm-hmm. that, that 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 Fleming created. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. So moving on to women versus villain. Um, on one side, you have essentially the Bond woman. You know, you right. have Kara. Right. Um, again, you had the the woman earlier in the film, um, but she's on screen for literally like, you know, a minute, minute, mm-hmm. 30 seconds. Um, so essentially, we're talking about Kara versus a, a rogues gallery, actually, because you have arguably Pushkin. You could say Pushkin, but he's more of an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, although he's presented like Gogol, he's presented as a... Uh, um, Gogol, he's presented as kind of like, you know, he's an adversary, but he's kind of, you know, he's sympathetic as well. Um, but really you have, uh, like we talked about Koskoff and what's the guy's name? Brad uh, Whitaker. Whitaker, Brad Whitaker. Right. And then you have, of course, Nick, ne- ne- Cross, who is the mm-hmm. henchman. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have these three kind of guys, you know, stacked up on one side versus the bond woman. As far as these performance, who do you think, like what performance did you enjoy more? The bond women or the bond villains? Well, you know, it's almost, it's really not a fair fight because mm-hmm. it's Kara against, uh, all these other people. And from a you know just from acting, Carr really isn't going to hang with John Reese Davis or Joe Don Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I got I have to say, on the face, the villains. I think mm-hmm. the villains were stronger. Um, but you know, Carr came through during the fight at the airfield. So yeah, she kind of upped yeah, her game. That's a good point. Yeah, she came through, and I had not seen a Bond woman went, really get down like she man. did. Yeah, but still, <laughs> she was kind of she was a little Tracy esque. You know, she was a little, yeah, yeah. She, she has right, minus the mm-hmm. attitude and mm-hmm. and the privilege. Um, but still, I think that um, Koskoff. Well, first of all, um, how do you say his name? Necros. Necros, yeah. Necros. Great name for a villain. <laughs> right. Great name for an assassin. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. he, the scene where he penetrates the MI6 safe house mm. with, some, with, some, with a Walkman, basically. <laughs> Walkman and was nasty. milk bottles. <laughs> the fight between him and uh, the one agent in the kitchen was brutal. It's Wasn't it brutal? one of the brutal? best fights in the series. Yeah, Man, it was, it was really and you just, fight. you don't even, yeah. and shout out to who, whoever his name was because we never knew <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah he, he held his own because he brought it yeah, yeah he, brought he held it. his own he brought it. so you're you giving it you think villains yeah yeah villains. I, 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 I'm thinking villains I mean you know even Joe Don Baker as the what 
the the disgraced military wannabe general mm-hmm. um even he you know he definitely made it happen as like the madman the the mm-hmm. the only flaw the only flaw was that you know i eventually understood how the hierarchy went with Whitaker, Koskoff, and and Necros, mm-hmm. with Pushkin as a pawn, mm-hmm. but that it was it was it would have been more valuable to me if that was better defined up front. Mm-hmm. But I, I yeah, can't necessarily say how they could have. But when you kind of figure it out, it it, it maps out beautifully. You right. know, Koskoff, you know, playing to his relationship with with James Bond. Pushkin, knowing that Pushkin is sort of a, you know, kind of an outlier, you know, not really a friend, could be friendly, but prone to flip. And Whitaker seemingly operating in the shadows. But um, yeah, Car, she doesn't, she gives up a good fight, but she can't, she can't handle Like you said earlier, I think it's an unfair fight between, you know, Kara and like, you know, the rogues gallery of villains. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I would probably lean towards a villain mainly because of, um, you know, John Reese Davis, what he did with Pushkin. Um, I do agree with you. Brad Whitaker, I think, is a is a great villain in the sense of, it, you know, that scene where he really kind of lays out his, you know, um, admiration for what Pushkin calls the butchers of the past. And, and yeah. Whitaker looks at them as these great leaders and mm-hmm. surgeons. And he's just he's he's obsessed with war. And I think that that's mm-hmm. it really makes him look like a very small man. And I think that yeah. was the intent. Um, and I like that. And I, I like Koskoff and I like the fact that there, there is that nebulous quality. You don't know who's, you know, who's the top cat, who's the, the subordinate, um, Necros is clearly the henchman, but between Koskoff and Pushkin, it's kind of like, or, uh, and Whitaker, it's kind of like, well, who's calling the shots? And then mm-hmm. you realize kind of they're basically partners. And then with Pushkin, he represents the Russian government and the Russian uh, Secret Service, and he has the ability to kill both of these cats or to take them out, you know, because he's basically right. he had an arms deal and the shit fell through, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another part we, we can talk about when we look at the living daylights, maybe on another episode. This is a very complicated plot. You know, this mm-hmm. is not an mm-hmm. easy plot, you know, to follow. It's like you really have to pay attention. Um, but I, I really like Kara, too, man. I, I like the fact that, like, um, like I said earlier with Bond himself, I can, you know, Maybe this is because in that, you know, when I I saw this movie, um, I immediately had a crush on Miriam uh, uh, Diabo, um, who played who played Kara. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like the way she portrays this character. She's naive, but she's also like we said, she's in that key scene. She tells Shad, you know, I'm going after James. You know what I'm saying? It's like she Mm -hmm, puts it mm -hmm, down like, no, mm -hmm. she pulls a Tracy and like goes after a man. I thought that was that was very um I, I like the way that that portrayed you know that 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 reflected on her character um so i really like her as well so but I, I, it's kind of like you said it's just not it's, it's a matter of balance and there's just too much on the villain side so i'm with you i'll go with the villains all right well shout out to art malik as cameron child the leader of the mujahideen um, yeah he was excellent i thought he too. was a great ally he was excellent too yeah um all right so moving on any last words before we move into q and a um, this is up there. This is a this is a this is a great uh, this is a great Bond film, especially if you're a fan of the Daniel Craig Bond films. Is I this think, in your top five? Oh uh, man, I, you know what? I I think I think it is. I think mm-hmm. it is in my top five. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is in my top five. It's in my top one, two, maybe top top three, definitely maybe top two. 
Yeah. I have the disadvantage of seeing really all of the Craig films prior to seeing Living Daylights. I mean, dude, mm. I did not see Living Daylights until maybe two years ago. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Well, we'll have to come back to that. All right. Um, let's get into Q&A. This is question in Arthur. This is where I'm going to ask Arthur three trivia questions based on the film. Arthur gets 25 points for each question he answers correctly. Listeners should play along, keep track of your score. And after we view um, our final film in this this uh, era of uh, 007 and counting, then we'll tally up the scores. So listen, um, you've done pretty well recently. I think you got last time. I think you even got three out of two out of three. Um, you haven't got a perfect score, I don't think. No. And you see my face. I do not expect to do well with this one. <laughs> I don't think I softballed it either because, and again, this is a hard plot to follow, but I don't, I don't think any of these are plot heavily plot related, but yeah. Um, let's see how you roll. So, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to say the question twice. I'm going to say it once then repeat it. And then Arthur is going to give his answer. So question number one, a Q and a for living daylights at the beginning of the film during the sniper sequence, which we both love. We've talked about at length ad nauseum at the beginning of this episode, at the beginning of the film, during the sniper scene, Bond is given the choice between soft nose rounds and steel tipped. Which does he choose? And for a bonus, why? I'm going to read that again. At the beginning of the film, during the sniper scene, Bond is given the choice between soft nose rounds and steel tipped. Which does he choose? And for a bonus, why does he choose those? He chooses the soft nose rounds. Is that your final answer? It is. Negative. Ah! <laughs> Come on, Arthur. This was, this was kind of softball. You had a 50-50 chance, man. He chooses the steel tipped, and I'll tell you why. He chooses the steel tip because, and this is a direct uh, quote from, from Bond, KG, KGB snipers usually wear body armor. So at this oh. this point, he's not knowing it's the, the girl with the cello up there. He thinks he's about to go up against, you know, one of his opposite numbers, you know, someone on the KGB side who is as experienced as he is. So he's thinking they're going to probably have body armor. I need steel tip. Saunders being inexperienced says to him, I assume you want the soft nose. And he's like, no, nah, I'll take the steel tipped. Um, so listeners, if you got that, give yourself 25 points. And if you got the bonus, the why? Because KG, KGB snipers usually wear body armor. If you got that, give yourself an extra 25 points. Arthur, on the other hand, gets a big zero. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> moving along. Um, question number two. When Bond hesitates to accept M's order to kill Pushkin, M says he'll just send another double O. Which, and this is multiple choice, Arthur. Which double O does M mention? A. 004, B, 008, or C, 009? I'm going to read the question again. When Bond hesitates to accept M's order to kill Pushkin, M says he'll just send another 00. Which 00 does he mention? A, 004, B, 008, C, 009. Excuse me, I almost said 007. So which uh, which double O does M mention, Arthur? Double O eight. You want me to read to give you the options again? Double O eight. That's your final answer. Double O eight. Double O eight is correct. M says tells Bond, um, "I'm going to send double O eight. 
he or I'll recall, I think he says, I recall double A from Hong Kong. He has no trouble following orders. Um, so yeah, give yourself 25 points for that one. You, you were very confident in that. Did you know that for certain or you, that was a good guess? I knew that for certain. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So listeners, give yourself 25 points if you got 008. All right. Last question in this round of Q and Arthur. Um, Kara's, Kara's cello was a very expensive gift from Koskoff. What kind of cello is it? And for bonus point, what's the cello's name? I'll read this again. Kara's cello was a very expensive gift from Koskoff. What kind of cello is it? And for a bonus point, what's the cello's name? Ah, uh, cello is a Stradivarius. Mm, look at you. All right. Are you about to get a bonus? If, listen, not, oh, if you get this bonus, you make up for question number one, which you missed. So if you get this bonus, you can get a full 75 points today. I don't know the name. Of, I can't remember the name of the cello. I mean, you know what? Since you my since you my boy, I'm going to give you a hint. It is, I'll give you the first, no, I, this is how I give you the hint. The first is two words. The name is two words. First word is another word for woman. And the second word is a certain flower. Lady Rose? Oh, I shouldn't have gave you that hint. <laughs> no, man. Because no, I would have... You should at least, you could at least act it. You know, you could have struggled over it a little bit. You just blurted it out. Like, okay. All right. Yeah. The Lady Rose. It's the Stradivarius. Man, Man, I had a perfect if I had the steel tip. And the thing is, the steel tip, I was thinking like, well, wait a minute. Steel tip. He was in assassin mode. He used the steel tip. And I was like, no, but he was surgical. So maybe it was a soft I can't really. You know what I mean? I overthought that So you were drawing on your vast knowledge. I was, man. (laughs) Right. Exactly. 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 Uh, well, you made up for it though, because you got you got an extra, you got the bonus points for that one. So, listeners, the name of the cello was Stradivarius, and it was actually a key plot point too, because when Bond, you know, when she tells Bond this, he's like, "Wait a minute, you, your cello was a Stradivarius." Yeah. And Bond immediately knows, being the you know cultural person he is, or whatever, right? That these are very expensive cellos. And that's so how he rigid, found out. Yeah, that's how he found out who. That. Yeah, and she's like, you know. uh, uh, Yorgi, Yorgi. yeah, Yorgi, whatever his name was, Koskov gave it to me, and it's the you know the Lady Rose. So, and then he, he you know, uh, his boy Saunders, his newfound mm-hmm. friend, is the one mm-hmm. that tracks down the information, and that's mm-hmm. how they connect him to Whitaker. Blah 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 blah. So it was really a key plot point. But yeah, her the cello was a Stradivarius, and it was called the Lady Rose. So Arthur, you got a full seventy five today. Could have got, could have got hundred, could have got one hundred and twenty five, but you got seventy five, so it's all good. All right, um, listeners, keep track of your score. Go back, listen to the other episodes of 007 and Counting. And we will return soon. Um, we're not going to tell you the next... We'll, we'll, we'll reveal the next name of the film that we're going to do um, probably next week because um, we're not doing these chronologically. We're just doing whatever we want. So who knows what the next film is going to be um, as we count down to No Time to Die. That would be a wrap. Reach out to us on Twitter, hashtag Mad Unreal. My name is Arthur a r r t h u r r, and I am at at Isaac Perry I s a c p e r r y. Catch us on Twitter. Hit us up. Hashtag Mad Unreal. Let us know what you thought about the Living Daylights. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you listen to this episode, you haven't seen it, and we just spoiled the hell out of it. I would still go back and watch it because, like we said, it's a very complicated plot. 
um, one of the best portrayals of Bond ever in, in any of the, any of the existing 24 films. So highly recommend it. Um, and we will be back soon with another episode of 007 and counting. See you next episode. Keep it unreal. Peace. Peace.